Well, hey guys, good morning. It's good to be with you. Your, uh, your announcement guy isn't your normal announcement guy, so apparently uh, Jeff is a bit under the weather, so he's, uh, he is home resting from the sniffles or something like that, um, I think. So um, <clears throat> a couple things that I want to mention this morning as we get started. Of course, the business meeting is today after church, so we have food and then the, uh, the meeting after the service. It's Pastor Appreciation Day, so uh, you've got a couple hours to get to the ATM. Uh, no, um, you know, uh, turn in your cards uh, by the uh, in the multi-purpose room uh, for that. And um, in a couple of weeks, the date November sixth, seventh, and eighth, a couple of weeks, we are hosting a um, uh, a men's study here where. Men get uh, trained in uh, to study the Bible and to preach from it. Uh, it is a uh, it is a uh, national program funded by the Simeon Trust, and uh, and we are hosting that here. So Courtney has um, a lot of the operational responsibilities for that, and uh, she needs help physically with people here to uh, to uh, help kind of pull that off. So. We need some food and some other things, not too much unlike when we do fellowship in the gospel. So uh, if you can volunteer, if you have some time, uh, one or all of those days, uh, reach out to Courtney and, and ask her uh, what you can do to help her with that. It's like 6th, 7th, and 8th November. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So that's a really, it's a really good thing. The uh, Most of the... Uh, people that you see teaching Sunday school, like me, for example, um, uh, have gone through uh, this training in one form or another, online, things like that. So if you saw me teach a few years ago and uh, thought, wow, that's really mediocre, um, if, if you think it's any better now, it's largely because of the training that we go through in this uh, Simeon Trust program, it is very uh, beneficial to uh, studying and, uh, and and teaching. So, uh, so that's coming up soon. It uh, it should be great. Men from all around the uh, the area, other churches, including ours, will will be there to study that. So, uh, anything else? Is there anything that I? All right. Yeah, my announcements. It's funny. I do announcements in the next hour, but that seemed really flat compared to what Jeff does. So uh, so let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into our uh, text this morning. Lord, we love you, and uh, we thank you for uh, the things that you are doing in our church. We, uh, we thank you that you are uh, using your people, that you are growing them in maturity and um, in the richness of your word. Pray that uh, as we uh, study your text in Hebrews this morning, that we would be encouraged to be faithful to hold on to uh, our promises in Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Okay, here we are. Uh, so it's me again. So uh, we are in Hebrews 4, and uh, this sort of follows the last two weeks that we spent in uh, chapter 3, and so this uh, this builds and brings chapter 3, I think, to a 
uh, a stronger point as we push forward. So I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 13, if you'll follow along, and then we'll, uh, we'll have some fun with this. Okay, so therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we, have, we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who, to whom we must give account. Okay, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on in this, and doesn't always read very smoothly. So uh, let's talk about the theme of today's text, and uh, and the theme is that God wants us to rest in Him. Therefore, let us urgently hold on to our faith in Jesus and encourage one another in his word. So last week we talked about rest a little bit. We had this big warning passage about, um, uh, you know, the Israelites in the wilderness and how they failed to enter his rest. And, uh, And so we should revisit rest and we should make sure we understand what we are talking about uh, with that term before we push too far. Because it's not the uh, it's not the physical rest of uh, of nap time or um, you know getting away from your small children for a weekend with your spouse or something like that. This is a different kind of rest. So rest in Scripture is a metaphor for God's blessings of safety, security, salvation. Rest is a picture of our relationship with God. Okay. So the, uh, the only place that we have seen rest in human history is in the garden of Eden. Okay. So think of, uh, think of rest. So we had, uh, God working for six days and then he rests. Resting was enjoying his creation. Uh, and that included his created man and woman. So, the ideal setting in terms of relationship with the creator 
is Adam and Eve in the garden with not a care in the world, looking after the garden, uh, nothing to hide from God, and uh, relationship time at the end of the day, right? So end of the day, walking with God. Imagine what that would have been like from an experience standpoint to, uh, to be resting and enjoying and having fun in close relationship with the Creator. You know, uh, the conversations must have been spectacular, like none that you can imagine. When I was um, uh, a, a wee lad, somewhere, uh, somewhere around uh, like 12, 13 years of age, um, my, uh, my mom was ill and spent a lot of time in, in the hospital, and so her parents came and stayed with us. So this is uh, grandma and grandpa, and, uh, and my, uh, my mom's dad was a, uh, he, uh, a banker. He had been in the Coast Guard in World War II, and uh, he had come off the farm uh, in Kentucky, somewhere in the you know Kentucky Ohio uh, uh, West Virginia border area, and he had a lot of stories to tell, and I don't know that they were all true. I would <laughs> I would repeat them to my mom, and she would chuckle a little bit, like uh, yeah, he's he stretched the story a little bit. Um, I wonder where I get it, uh, that skill, but uh, we would go for a walk every day. We would, uh, you know, summer, school's out, and uh, we would grab a couple of fishing poles and go for a walk and go fishing. I spent the whole day with this guy, and, uh, and it was so much fun to enjoy the experiences and the stories and the relationship and the love and the care that this guy had for me, you know. If you're a grandparent, you know what it's, what it's like. The grandkid relationship is better than the kid relationship, I'm told, over and over again, right? Uh, so <clears throat> so that, was, uh, that was a summer, and I think of it fondly and with great uh, memories, and that's a, that it just pales in comparison to, uh, to doing that with the one who made me, just imagine what that's like. So, so that's rest, okay? It's not nap time. And so, uh, and so rest comes from having a right relationship with Yahweh, and the writer of Hebrews understands this reality. So he's showing the audience in this text here the right way to look at the Old Testament. What he's doing is he's putting the problems of the Old Testament, which is a sin problem, a a problem of unbelief with the Israelites, and uh, and he's he's highlighting this and then showing how this problem is uh, is fulfilled in the completed work of Jesus Christ. He's showing the solution to that problem of faithlessness or unbelief is solved in the work that Jesus did, and so in chapter four he shows us how Christ is the only foundation for true spiritual rest. So what are we resting from? Okay, so that's my first thought, because these people are being persecuted, right? So these people are, um, are not towing the proper 
Israelite line of uh, religiosity, of, uh, of fake worship and things like that. These people have been transformed and now are crazy, kooky Jesus followers. All right? They're not cool anymore. It's a problem for those people who hate Jesus. And so the rest that is being held up here is not rest from persecution. Uh, this message is to persecuted Christians, but the writer is saying, don't trade short-term meaningless rest from this persecution for the good rest that comes from being friends with the God of the universe. Okay, so the, these people, I, I, I don't like persecution. I've hardly experienced any. Um, I don't like struggles. When, when something is wrong in my life, I want to fix it. ASAP. I tell my wife I'm a problem solver, right? Um, I, I hate going through difficult times, and I'm sure you do as well. And the writer is not offering a break from that. What the writer is saying, hey, you are in difficult times and you always will be. Don't trade a short-term break from this for real, true, meaningful, long-term, eternal rest. The, um, you know, rest in the eschaton, you know, rest in the new Jerusalem with your king. So that is, that is what's being offered to us here. Good morning, guys. So there are three ways that we can enter rest, which when we hear rest, we, we need to be thinking of right relationship. We, rest is, is we are in community with God the Creator in, uh, in good standing, in peace and harmony like, uh, like the garden. Okay, so, uh, so the author gives us three ways that we are to uh, do this, the three ways that we are to enter rest. And so, number one, he says, enter by faith. Okay, and so uh, verses one and two, we talk about faith. Remember in chapter three, we saw a picture how entering rest for the Old Testament Israelites was entering the land of promise. But the promised land was more than a piece of land. The land was God's promise to Abraham and a picture of Yahweh's plan to restore creation after the fall. Beyond real estate, the promised land meant enjoying God's salvation plan and dwelling with him in harmony. You know, so, uh, so Canaan, the promised land, would be the place where Israelites would live in harmony with Yahweh. And uh, in the last chapter, we saw this story of God's people, these circumcised people following a cloud and a, uh, uh, a pillar of fire in the wilderness who looked like God followers, looked like Yahweh followers, and their hearts were uncircumcised. They were not following Yahweh. They were in it together. Uh, it, they were of one mind, and their mind was not one of belief in Yahweh. So they never entered the promised land, right? Now, Israel 2.0 made it into the promised land, right? They crossed the Jordan. They're into the Canaan. 
and they never enjoyed spiritual rest with Yahweh. So most of the Old Testament puts on display the Israelites failing to enter relationship rest with Yahweh. And so verse 1 and 2 tells us four things. One, that hearing the gospel isn't enough. Uh, The disobedient Israelites heard the good news. Uh, In Matthew 13, Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 and says, Many hear and do not believe. And this was the same thing for these wilderness Israelites. God's handiwork on display, caring for them in the wilderness, and they yet never believed. Two, we see responding to the promise of the gospel, believing in faith is the correct response. That's the right response to hearing uh, the word of God. And faith is more than believing it's true. Faith is believing and obeying. And fourthly, the salvation message in the Old Testament was the same. Faith in Yahweh, trusting his plan for atonement of sins, and following him in obedience. The the Old Testament Israelites had the same plan offered to them that we have. And so uh, he says in verse 2, The good news came to us just as to them, them being the wilderness Israelites. But the message they heard didn't benefit them. Why? Because they didn't have faith, he says. They were not united by faith with those who listened. So they heard it, uh, they heard the message, and they didn't believe, right? And so we who have believed have entered the rest, and the wilderness Israelites didn't have that, okay? So the Old Testament saints heard the good news, just as the New Testament saints. Now that Christ has come and fully revealed the Father according to uh, John 14, that's where he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? So New Covenant believers have a fuller picture and a greater understanding of how God has acted to save. But nevertheless, the Old Testament saints were saved by faith in the promises of Yahweh, just as we are today. Paul said in Romans 4 that Abraham was justified by faith. That is, that is how he came to right relationship with Yahweh. He believed Yahweh's promises by faith and, uh, and it, righteousness was credited to him. Same way we, uh, we get there. So our, writers, uh, our writer of Hebrews will, uh, will even talk about this faith more in, uh, in some later chapters. Okay, so entering right relationship with God, number one, uh, comes by faith. Okay. Secondly, there is an urgency still in this text. There was an urgency in chapter 3 that continues through. And we see, uh, we see repetition of the warning about not entering rest. We, get things, we see phrases like, uh, while, you can, while you still hear, while, while you are here today, 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 there's this urgency for us to believe uh, in Jesus and respond in faith. We have no guarantee for time, right? So in verse 3, the author quotes Psalm 95 again, this, they will not enter my rest quote. That quote 
damns the wilderness Israelites for their unfaithfulness. The author uses it to remind us that those who believe enter God's rest. The end of verse 3, and um, the, uh, the, the author is saying that since the seventh day of creation, the opportunity to join God in his rest has been there and remains. So God worked for six days, creation. On the seventh, he rested, and, and from that day forward, his creation has the opportunity to rest in right relationship with him. The author repeats the caution again in verse 5, as if to emphasize the urgency of the message. The only thing that um, can satisfy your soul is the rest that comes from a right relationship with God. That's the only thing that satisfies. The only way we can access God's rest is by faith in Jesus Christ, the only one who secures God's rest for believers through his death and resurrection. If we reject Jesus, we will die in the wilderness, just like those Israelites. But if we trust Jesus as God's pathway to his rest, we will enter that rest. Don't get caught in the wilderness. In verses 6 and 7, the author urges his audience to respond today. In the same way David urged his Israelite uh, brothers to respond in their day when he wrote Psalm 95. Psalm 95 simultaneously condemns the wilderness generation for the disobedience and invites the hearers to respond in faith. The message is just as urgent today. Okay, so that's... That's where we're going with this text. Now, uh, what's interesting, if you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about how uh, Jesus was greater than Moses. And then uh, maybe a couple weeks before that, how he was greater than the angels. And look who shows up in the text here in verse 8. Joshy boy. Okay. So, uh, so the author brings up Joshua. Why Joshua? Well, He's the guy who actually got it done, right? He led the Israelites across the Jordan. He got them across the finish line into the promised land. Now, the author already showed us how Christ is superior to angels and to Big Mo, and now shows us how Christ is better than the guy who brought the Israelites across the finish line. Joshua couldn't give them rest. They got the promised land, but they didn't get the good real estate, the relationship with Yahweh himself. So the writer uses this, um, this sab- word Sabbath in our, uh, in our verse here to kick us back to the picture in verse 4 of God working six days and then resting. We see Jesus came, he worked, and then rested with the Father. And we are working and Hopefully, hopefully finding our rest in Jesus at the same time. There's this model here pictured. So if, you're, if you are struggling, if you are being persecuted, if you're going through a difficult time, we should be reminded here that uh, that, that is the life here on, on earth. That, that, that is uh, uh, the model set forth by Yahweh himself to work 
and then uh, and then rest. And so, uh, so this picture is put on display uh, three ways here in, in the text that uh, God did this, Jesus did this, and this is our lot as well. So God worked and rested. Jesus worked and rested. We rest from our works and enter God's rest when we put our faith in Christ. We no longer live by trying to prove our righteousness before God, but instead we rest in Jesus' righteousness. So the righteousness work has been done. We fail at that. And we, and we have that on display through all of history. We get the gospel verse uh, then in verse 10. It says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See that? When we put our faith in Jesus, we rest from our own works. We don't get a break on the suffering, the difficulty, the struggles. We get a break from trying to earn our own salvation. Uh, You know, trying to enter the kingdom on our own merits. We, we fail at that. We cannot do that. And so, yeah. And so, uh, and so the writer says, do this now. Find your, find your rest now. There's no time to wait because we don't know when time will end. Don't be caught in the wilderness. And so, uh, and so that's the, uh, you know, the kind of lingering warning from last week's text that, that uh, that is is held here in tension. There is no time to uh, for unfaithfulness on your part. You need to uh, repent and and believe and trust Jesus by faith. So he he uh, he he brings us into the final piece here, uh, which is entering by the word of God. In verse eleven, he says. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. In light of our need for faith and urgency, the author exhorts us to strive for obedience, unlike the wilderness generation. We must work to rest. In other words, we must work against our desire to prove our own worth, our own righteousness. We must strive against our desire to justify ourselves. So it is not, um, it's not easy. So, uh, so while the hard stuff in life doesn't go away, the, the real need is not a break from suffering. The real need is a break from our sin. The real need is a break from us trying to, uh, to live in a way where we think we can earn our salvation, where we judge ourselves not too bad. If I compare myself to some of my friends, they're not as good as me. And, uh, and we self-justify. That's what we need a, uh, a break from. So we need to uh, go through these difficult things. Perse- persecution, failure, difficulty, struggle, loss, grief, these things. We're going to go through them one way or another. It's are we going through them with the creator God, Yahweh, as our friend, resting in him? Or are we going to do those things with him as our enemy, as an enemy of God, unbelieving, unfaithful, like the Israelites in the wilderness? The Israelites struggled, you struggle. 
I've struggled. I go through, you know, I've, I've been through things that I don't want to go through again ever, right? But I, I have no control over that. The thing that I have uh, the uh, ability to do is hold on to his promises and believe and encourage those around me to do the same. Encourage them by the word, he says. So how do we, how, how do we help each other? How do we combat unbelieving hearts, right? Last week, the author gave us uh, this remedy. Uh, last week, we talked, uh, we talked about in chapter 3, encourage each other daily while it is still called today. This is from our previous text. The author of Hebrews was doing exactly what Paul said to do uh, to the Colossians, right? To admonish one another in all wisdom through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, right? So I talked last week about that's the responsibility of the church, not to, um, you know, not to help me avoid persecution, but to keep me believing and holding on to the promises as I go through this, right? Uh, Colossians uh, 3 pushes on, uh, immersing yourself in the watchful care of the church, in the preaching of the word, and the exhortation of fellow believers. You know, this is, this is what we are uh, to do to combat an unbelieving heart. And we do that through the word. So the main job of a believer is to exhort one another in faithfulness. This is what we do when we sit under preaching together. When we, sit, uh, when we sing together, when we pray together, we encourage each other to be satisfied in Christ alone, lest we fail to enter true rest. Look at verse 11, which says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We know... Say that again. Live and word. Yeah. So for the word of, the, of God is living and active, right. sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, mm-hmm. of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we know Jesus through the Bible. The scripture is not separate from Jesus. You are not a follower of Jesus apart from the scripture. The author gives us two characteristics about the word of God here. One, that it is living and effective. Right. So as God lives, the word lives. Effective means when God speaks, he acts. Scripture is the living word of God. It accomplishes everything God wills. Isaiah 55:11 says, "My word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I please and will prosper what I send it to do." Right. So the word of God is uh, is not just a uh, words on a page. We know this, right? It's living. It has effect on us today. It's as effective as it was a thousand years ago. It's sharp and it penetrates. Scripture is a sword that cuts to your soul. 
a guy named Al Mohler says, Scripture untangles the human heart and unearths sin like no other book can. Right? No other book can understand our thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Only God's Word can do this. So, uh, so Scripture is a tool wielded by God to perform surgery on our hearts and restore, restore spiritual health. Verse 13 shows the link between God's Word and God by shifting everything right to God and saying He knows and sees everything. We're, we're talking about the Word in verse 11 and 12, and in verse 13, we go right to God, right? So, uh, so we get this, uh, the Word of God is living and active. Uh, it is a sharp uh, sword, and no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him who, to whom we must give account. So the Word is, uh, is one with God, Okay. And so uh, the word is what he uses to, uh, to fix uncircumcised hearts, to fix sinning unbelief in the hearts of his people. And so uh, God gives us the gift of scripture so that we will not be like unbelieving, unbelieving Israelites in the wilderness. They looked like God's people. They said they were God's people, but they never found rest with Yahweh. They were not God's people. So we need, to, uh, we need to take this word and encourage one another with Scripture, with the gospel. And uh, that, is our, that is our job as, uh, as church members to go and worship with each other and preach the gospel to each other every day. That's what real friendship is, right? So... That, that is what makes sure that all the sheep get home to their pen, to their uh, shepherd, right? We, we, uh, we have to encourage one another to stay in the flock and carry one another along in the, uh, the gospel. So, uh, so do this. Help each other along with Scripture. And that means you have to know it as well. And uh, go and worship with each other and preach the gospel to each other. All right? Do that this morning. Go and do that. All right? Thank you.